everyone. I'm David Kimura with Drift and Ruby, and today I'm going to be interviewing a well-known member in the Ruby community, Jesus Costello. Hello. So, Jesus, uh, you're pretty popular out in the Rails community, and you're from Spain, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. So, do you want to let people know what you're doing and just some of the different things where people can find you online? Sure. Well, I teach Ruby. I'm a Ruby developer, but I also teach Ruby. That's my main thing, right? Mm -hmm. And where I teach Ruby is on a website called um, rubyguides.com, rubyguides.com. And it had another name a few years ago when I started, but, but then uh, I wasn't really serious about it. But when I got really serious, like... Uh, last year or about two years now. Then I changed the name to Ruby Guides, and then I really started putting out content. Uh, what you can find in there in, on my site is Ruby articles, guides, uh, everything. I have also a tutorial for complete beginners. Um, it, it, it shows you the basics, variables, uh, conditionals, all of that. But then I also have my articles where you can learn about our, all sorts of things. So the articles are for all levels. So I have for beginners, I have for intermediate. I also have some advanced stuff in there. So there is stuff for everybody. And I also have a Ruby book for people that prefer to a more to have everything in one place instead of having to go, should I read this article or this one? In what order do I read the articles? Because I publish in no particular order the articles. So if you want something that's more structured, uh, that has some exercises and things you can do, uh, I'll include some mind maps, right? Uh, mind maps are of Ruby methods. So I have mind maps for a string, and it, it teaches you all of the Ruby methods in just one image, right? All yep. of the Ruby methods for a string. And then I also have that for hashes, for innumerable. Uh, I think I also have one for blocks. So that's on top of the book, which is a PDF that you download. It's very helpful. And if you want to get the book, you can find it also on, on the site, on the front page of the site you find the book if you're interested in that. So that's what I do. Yeah, and you know, I have a lot of respect for people in the community who spend the time to publish articles, videos, author books for the development language. One, because it changes so much. So there's always new content to publish and to write about or to type about. So I definitely have a lot of respect for it and just the amount of time involved. It's a endless thing. You know, I'm constantly learning things. And, you know, even though I've been doing this for almost a decade and just Ruby specifically, there's always something new that I'm learning every day. And so our job is almost like it's never done. But today I'm having you on here to talk about the Rota framework. And the Rota framework is a web framework, but it takes a bit of a different approach than the other normal ones like Grape, Ruby on Rails, or Sinatra. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give a bit of an introduction what Rota is and 
maybe why someone should consider using it over the standard de facto Rails or Sinatra? Sure. So the description on the repository says the following. So I'm just going to read the description and then we can discuss it a bit if you like. Yeah. So what is Roda? Well, Roda is a routine tree web toolkit uh, designed for building fast and maintainable web applications in Ruby. So that's the description. And basically what this is like a mini web framework, sort of like Sinatra, right? But even smaller than Sinatra. And everything in, in Roda works from this routing tree. That's why it's called a routing tree um, toolkit, because um, you have this tree of routes, just like Rails routes, right? But it's built all in like a tree structure. Mm -hmm. So um, some of the reasons that you might want to use this is because um, it's smaller, right? Than Sinatra is very simple. And if you are writing like an API that only has like a few endpoints or something very simple like that, maybe Roda is for you, right? I also have some notes on other benefits that we can discuss later. Yeah, absolutely. And a routing tree, more specifically, when you get a web request come in, there's really two parts of the web request. You have the verb, which is like a get, post, or delete, something like that. But then you also have the URI. And that's where the routing tree comes into play, where instead of looking or parsing through the entire list of routes that you have, it's going to break it up into sections. So for example, if you have a customers slash one slash edit for your URI, then a routing tree is going to first look at that customers part, and then it's going to try to find matches underneath there for the separate path, the one slash edit. So that's much more efficient than the way Sinatra or I think even Rails does it. So I definitely see this being a great possibility for something like embedded systems or with mm. uh, Raspberry Pis where you have a lot more limited resources to where you don't have the capability of running full-fledged frameworks. Mm -hmm. So uh, another benefit of using something like Rota is that you get a much more increased speed. So over Sinatra or Rails, when you start scaling it up to hundreds of users or thousands of concurrent users, you're going to be able to serve a lot more requests per second while maintaining a smaller memory footprint than you would with Rails or Sinatra, and especially as that number climbs and climbs of your concurrent connections. Right. I actually did some benchmarking in preparation for this episode, and my numbers come out that Roda is about twice as fast on Sin as Sinatra. But this, keep in mind, is a hello world type of application. Use one route, like the root route, and then I just use one of these uh, benchmarking tools. It's called um, Thing is WRK, like work, use three letters. Then I, there are other tools as well. And then 
uh, what I got with the benchmarking is that Roda does twice as much, it can process twice as much um, of their requests coming in. Yeah, and there's some other nice features with Rhoda uh, outside of just performance. And they take some of the common things that you would need to secure your application with something like CSRF tokens. So you, it's not just a routing tree. They also included some uh, plugins and some other security-focused features that make it feasible to actually use while maintaining a sense of security within the application. One of the features that say that make Roda better, so the developer makes uh, basically four claims, right? So they say it's faster, and we can verify that with benchmarks. They also say that it's simple, more simple than others, and we can also that verify that because there is less code that in, Another um, frameworks, less code on the gem itself, the way it's built, right? But also, it's less code for you as developer if you structure things right, I imagine. I, I haven't worked in a production Roda app, but it feels like, right, like that. Also, it gives you this clear structure, right? So you know how things have to go. And the other claim that developer makes uh, is that Roda is very extensible. And that's also correct, because if you go to the Roda documentation site, there are over 80 plugins, over 80 plugins that ship with Roda. You don't even have to install them. They already come with Roda. So you only have to and include them. So some of these include the uh, all verbs. So I believe that adds um, delete, patch, and put methods. So Roda is so small that it only supports get and post by default. If you want the other verbs, uh, you have to use this plugin. But that's not a problem because it's a built-in. And there are many others, like this hook that adds before and after hook methods and error handles and everything. And even uh, to render views, because Roda also doesn't render views by default. You have to re like uh, return a string. But you can include one of these plugins, which we render views, just like in Sinatra or Rails, right? Mm -hmm. So I find that these extensibilities uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, and so looking at the documentation for Rhoda and some of the examples, they really don't go beyond that routing file or the configru file for defining it. Mm -hmm. And if you are creating a larger API application that maybe goes beyond the basics of a hello world, how would you manage that? Because having one huge file could start to get confusing and stuff. Are you able to namespace things or move things, part of that route over into a separate file, like a branch or something like that, so you can continue to drill down within there? Or do you basically have to conform to using one file for the whole thing? 
Right, that's a great question because it can seem like it's one of the downsides of Roda. If you're going to have a lot of routes, then you're going to have uh, many levels of nesting and indentation, right? But the, there is a, a solution for that, and it's one of the plugins. It's called um, multi-route. Uh, it allows you basically to break down your routes into files. Mm -hmm. So you can create separate files for different endpoints. Let's say that slash users is one of your road files, right? So they become kind of like controllers, I guess, in that sense. And you have one for one of these files for each endpoint, for each sub-route. Um, and then you can load all of these files from the main routing tree and using this plugin, then it's like everything was in the same file, right? It takes care of uh, sending the request to the right place. Cool. And so I don't know if you know this question. Rota was uh, forked over and its purpose was built to be a very small footprint that's highly optimized, you know, with its routing tree opposed to parsing a large index of routes. So is there a reason why uh, just a pull request wasn't made into the Rails repository to allow Rails to have this kind of routing thing? And now today with a Rails API only application, you have a lot less overhead than you would with one with action view and stuff. I'm not sure about that. So your question is that why is Rails not um, parsing routes like Roda, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess because uh, the way Rails is built, it uses a system called Journey, I believe that's the name for parsing the routes. It's more regular expression based than the way Roda works, which is, I believe, I haven't looked into the code, but that's different. So I think it will. It's probably a lot of work to integrate this kind of route parsing into Rails. Mm -hmm. So that's why probably it doesn't exist. Yeah. So have you built anything with Rota? Have you had firsthand experience on using it and uh, seeing some of its capabilities beyond uh, just the basic examples? Not really. I just played along with some basic examples on my own, and mm -hmm. that's about it. But I think I will be considering using Roda for maybe an application where I will have used Sinatra instead mm -hmm. because of the extensibility and all of these plugins and the performance, right? can be interesting to give that a try. Yeah, and looking back a few years ago when I was doing some Raspberry Pi development, I think Rota would have been the perfect fit. But, you know, I ultimately ended up with a Ruby on Rails application uh, on a Raspberry Pi and later switched that to a Sinatra because, you know, just the initial footprint of memory that Rails had was just so much for mm -hmm. a, you know, Raspberry Pi. So... I don't think that Rota is limited to just something like Raspberry Pis. 
But I think that it could also have a space in serverless. And you know, that's something that I'm more interested in looking into is having small Rota um, service objects, if you will, on mm. a serverless platform because with its lighter footprint, you know, your number of requests are going to essentially be cheaper. It's going to be fast. And right. a lot of serverless frameworks are charging you know, per second of use or per number of calls and stuff like that. That sounds like it could be helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think that there's a lot of possibility for Rota in the future, especially if you don't need the benefits of a full-fledged application. If it's something that you're just making a simple API endpoint or making some kind of little service, then, you know, that needs to provide some kind of web front end for configuration or whatever, then Rota is going to be a great possibility. Or if you're just building a iOS application and you don't want to focus too much on the backend logic of it, but you really need some kind of backend to maintain the data, then, you know, Rota is going to be a pretty lightweight and fast thing that can serve a lot of mobile devices. Right. Why, why do you think that Rota is not more popular right now? I really don't know. It's really about the community adoption, I think. You know, the need for it. I think that there are mm. a lot of for it, but people will usually jump to whatever they are familiar with. And since right. Rails has such a large, you know, head start, then, you know, people either were familiar with Sinatra or Rails. You know, lately people have, you know, kind of looked at Hamani and also, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some other things like Grape, which I, don't, I haven't heard much about Grape lately. Uh, I think Kamani has been the other web framework that's been getting a bit of attention. But I think that there is a cult following on Rota where some people just swear by it. Uh, that is their choice. If they need to build something web interfacing, they're going to go with Rota because it's definitely not following the same kind of uh, convention over configuration that Rails has, you know, it's really left up to you, as you were saying, with the views and that kind of stuff. It doesn't have its own built-in mm -hmm. mechanism, but it really requires the developer to think a lot more about the application that they're building and how, and how they want to present it. Right, it's like you get all of these pieces, you put together your, the application the way you want instead of getting everything in one box like Rails, right? Yeah. But, you know, I think that goes to, you know, on a kind of separate topic, it, it goes to show that using the right tool for the job, you know, we could always just pick up Rails and start a new mm -hmm. Rails application and it's going to do the job. But is it overkill? Is it so much more than what it needed it to be? And, you know, that adds overhead to server costs. It adds overhead right. to the maintenance and lifespan, the SDLC, software development lifecycle of the mm -hmm. application. And you're going to have to have someone with more specialty knowledge that knows Ruby on Rails in order to support it. Where if you have a Rubyist that hasn't ever worked in Rails, they could probably get in, pick up Rota, look at its DSL, and, you know, start mm -hmm. being productive much quicker. Well, in Rota, you don't get to do one of the downsides, if you will, is that in Rota, you don't get to do like rake routes and get mm -hmm. your list of routes. Um, so that's 
one of the things. Yeah, and I, I can see that being a um, hiccup for some people. But then again, if you have a API generator or API documenter, uh, something like that, that you could tap into Rota, then mm. that could almost mitigate that need to do something like rake routes or rails routes, something like that. Right. Also, on the other side, a good thing that we didn't mention is that Rhoda is very well maintained. So it has zero pull requests and zero open issues. So that's really good. Yeah, and that is an a impressive feat, you know, to have an application that well-maintained. And, you know, it's almost sometimes if you don't see any issues or pull requests, you know, other than looking at the last commit, you're like, is this thing even maintained? You know, or mm-hmm. project too young to, you know, have right. that kind of bugs. But it's been around for a number of years, I think three years or so. According to... The research I did, uh, the first release, the first release of Roda was on 2014. Okay, wow, so about five years. Yeah, and uh, I believe it was uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Evans who authored and came up with the idea of Rhoda, and he's definitely been pretty popular in the community as well. Right, it's actually, Rhoda is actually a fork of Cuba, of another microfine work. That's called mm-hmm. Cuba. So they, he already had something to start with. He didn't start Roda from scratch. Yeah. And Cuba has been around for about seven years or so. Now, I think it came out around 2010. So, you know, they definitely had a pretty good start there. But it definitely doesn't have as much, I think, development going into it as Rhoda. I think there's been a lot of contributors with Rhoda that's kind of stepped up and helped out with the project. I have cool. some stats on the uh, how, how popular they are compared to, compared to Sinatra and Rails. Yeah. So Rails has 42K um, stars on GitHub. Um, Sinatra has 10K. And Roda has 1K. So that gives you an idea of the difference in popularity if you are willing to take um, stars on a GitHub repository as, uh, to quantify the popularity of this. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm happy if I get 100 stars on a project. So I think that Roda is doing pretty good there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesus, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking with me. If people want to find you on Twitter, uh, and if you wouldn't mind sharing the link to your Ruby guides again. Sure. So on Twitter, my Twitter handle is MatuGM. MatuGM. And that's the same for GitHub. And I'm, for my website is rubyguides.com. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and talking with me today. And I'm sure I'll be chatting with you again. Yeah, thank you for having me.